the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, go to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Check out uh, there all my writings, especially on the J6 video. I have a couple of tips up there. Some people sent me some photographs of Mr. Coffee. We've got one of the other guys. Uh, we call him Gallows Cowboy, the Gallows Cowboy, who was uh, one of the gang, one of the fake Gallows gang. We've got some face shots of him, so we're doing facial recognition. We'll see if we find out who that is. We're hoping and still hoping to find out who these guys and it looks like guys all guys i don't think there's any women in that bunch uh, of the five fake gallows gang so go to uh, uh open dot ink uh, i n k open dot ink slash j6 and you'll see the j6 six collection there um so um I want to expo- ex- uh, uh, expound, I want to explain better, tell you more about my theory, my new doctrine. It goes along with the narrative machine, of course. You've you've been inundated with my thoughts on the narrative machine. The narrative machine is big government working with big tech and big media to push a narrative on the people in this country, and it's very hard to beat back. Very hard to beat back. You, the narrative machine is really effective. Really effective. So that's uh, you know that one, but this one now is a, is the um, a doctrine, an action doctrine that goes along with the narrative machine because you know the narrative machine is there. You know the problem. You're aware that you've got to fight through it. So what do you do? And you have to come up with a shorthand. You know that someone told me once the rule of three. I don't know if you've heard this. The rule of three, which is like for your phone. With my phone, there's only three places my phone can be. The, the, the three places my phone can be is in my right pocket of my pants or my coat on a charger, any charger. That's the other place. I don't put it down loose or in the car on the center console. Those are the three places I put it so that I won't ever lose it. The rule of three shorthand will help you simplify will help you. You might try it. Same thing with my glasses. I either have my glasses in my hanging on my shirt in my uh, pocket or on the uh, on the center console, actually, it must be the rule of four there on the center console. I was going to say that's where I put them in the car, but I also put it on next to the uh, on the uh, in the bathroom when I go to bed in the evening. So there's four, the rule of four there. But simplify so that when you say where did I put something, you never put it down. In my case, I never put it down my phone down in a place that I wouldn't know where to look. It's either on the charger, in my pocket or in the car. That's the only places. Anyway, so there, this is my rule of three. Simplify is helpful. Here's the simplification, the action, the action doctrine that captures the living with the narrative machine and everything else, everything else. 
And it's this one, distrust, then verify. The old one was trust, but verify. That was Ronald Reagan. He he got that from a phrase in Russian when he was studying, preparing for the uh, Soviet summits. He had a teacher, I think a language teacher, as well as a policy person. I believe it was a woman, actually. I can't think of her name now. And she used that phrase and told him about it. And he decided to use it. Trust, but verify. Mine is distrust, then verify. Distrust. The starting point is I don't believe you. When it's the government, when it's the media, I don't believe you, but I'll verify it. I'm going to go and then first I'm going to distrust you, then I'll verify. And here's how well it works. Did you see the images? And and there were some images, but the description that the breathless reporting first by the people, the Hamas people saying uh, Israel bombed a, 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 a hospital. Then the media reported it. Israel bombed a hospital. Then the Israelis pushed back and said, no, it was Hamas that bombed a hospital themselves. And all of it was distrust, then verify. And it took about three days. And it looks like whatever, whoever shot the missile, it was in like a parking lot. It wasn't on a hospital. It was nothing like what we were told. Now, that's a dramatic example. And it's a dramatic example that feels like it's meant to draw us into war and draw the American people to support whatever's going on. But I'm not even talking about that part of it. I'm just saying as an operating system, as a principle, distrust, then verify is the best way to break the spell that we're under in terms of uh, the fake news, in terms of what government tells us, in terms of so you can take any example, you know, uh, distrust, then verify the uh, select committee, the Pelosi, Liz Cheney select committee report. They put out a 250 page report. There were like 150 uh, footnotes start out distrust, then verify when you dig into it. You realize they ignored whole segments of of the uh, events of January 5th and 6th. When you dig into it, you realize that they deleted the videos of, of depositions and they destroyed other evidence and they stored evidence in other places. So distrust and verify. It may mean distrust, then verify. And when you ver- go to ver- verify, you, it, you find out, oh, well, what's really true? What's really true is not what they're telling me. Now, in the case of January 6th, we still haven't gotten to the bottom of it. Here's another one. The media covered the uh, occupation of house uh, of government buildings in the last 48 hours by pro Hamas, pro Palestinian protesters. And they covered it. The headline said uh, Jewish groups uh, call for ceasefire. And you're like, oh, Jewish groups call for ceasefire. Wow. Distrust and verified. You look at it closer. It wasn't Jewish groups. I mean, there were a few Jewish people there. It was maybe some Jewish, liberal Jewish group. It was the Palestinian Hamas activists on the far left. And they were not peace. These weren't peace. They're calling for a ceasefire because they already got their licks in. Hamas already destroyed a whole bunch of people. And so you have to distrust, then verify. You have to work your way backwards from the uh, what you're seeing and what they again, the narrative machine has those three big parts. Big government will tell you something. Big media will tell you something. Big tech will tell you something. You're going to have to work your way back, fight your way back through it and get to the truth of it. And it's a really good system. It's a really good principle and really good action uh, step to take with the principle. If you if you're aware of the challenge, you're not um, you're not going to be misled as readily. And let me be clear, if you think that the only propagandists are on the left, think again. 
the Uniparty, for example, in Washington, D.C., that wants more spending and has to have another hundred billion for Israel and 50 or whatever billion for uh, Ukraine and all that. That's not one party or the other. Sometimes it will even be conservative, so-called, that will be using so- telling you something you still have to use distrust, then verify. Do not fall for the idea that, oh, it's Fox News, therefore I can trust it. No, you can't trust it in this environment. You cannot trust it in this current day and age. You simply cannot trust any of those kinds of mess, any any narrative you hear without verifying it. It's pretty tedious. It makes it so you have to um, work kind of hard. And, you know, one of the reasons X, formerly known as Twitter, is valuable is you can track a whole bunch of people in a short period of time. So that if you see, I don't know, um, Cernovich saying something, you go, oh, okay, Cernovich, he, he'll make everybody mad on both sides. He'll make, he's more conservative than not, but he, he makes Trumpsters mad. He makes, uh, DeSantis people mad. He'll, he'll make people mad on all sides. It's kind of his brand. So if you see Cernovich, if you see, um, uh, some, uh, not- noticeable, um, uh, uh, uh person, I, I seem to get Maria Bartiroma in my, um, in my Twitter, my X feed a lot. And she's she's a news person. She tends to lean left, it seems. But, you know, when you see something she says, you distrust it and then verify. And if you do that and you, on, on X, you can quickly look at a few other people or quickly do a search uh, and you can find a few voices that you trust that can either agree or uh, disagree amongst themselves. And then you can go from there. You know, if you get three or four people that you trust and they're saying the same thing, they're backing up the same thing. Well, then you say, OK, I, I've got I've got something I can rely on. I, I verified that at least it's true in the way that um, it's been reported or talked about. So that's that, that's my that's my pitch for X, by the way. I think X is the value of X is that you can go through and catch a number of different voices and see if they match up. I'm not saying I'm not saying that you go and say, oh, I'm definitely going to listen to this person or that. I saw Sean Hannity uh, on Twitter, therefore, I believe it. No way. I saw Glenn Greenwald on Twitter, and I believe it. No way. I saw Elon Musk on Twitter, and I believe it. No way. But distrust and verify. Distrust, then verify. Says, okay, I distrust it, but I'm interested. Let me see if I can back it up. Let me see if I can get a couple. By the way, a couple of people like Mike Benz. Mike Benz is out there again today with some message. I forget right now what it was, but um, it was about, oh, it was about the fight. There's a back and forth between Elon Musk and the uh, founder of Wikipedia. Uh, Elon Musk called it Wokipedia. And uh, Jimmy Wales is complaining. That's the founder of Wikipedia. He's complaining. He's a leftist. He's a far left guy. I, I don't know if he's far left, but he's pretty identified as liberal. And he's complaining about X. And so Elon Musk and him are going back and forth. And Mike Benz immediately jumped in and said, hey, wait a second, Jimmy Wales does this, and he's on some board of a of an entity that's regulating disinformation. And, uh, and Mike Benz always points out the groups that are regulating disinformation, this one is an EU group, they're the ones that are trying to control who says what. And so it, Mike, Benz, Mike Benz is a guy that when you hear him, you can distrust, then verify, but pretty quickly you can verify his stuff. He's usually showing... Um, he's usually showing the receipts, as the people say these days. So there you have it. That's what you need to know today. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Man, alive. If I told you how hard we had to work to get this interview, uh, my next guest and I, we were fighting through all sorts of uh, problems with our uh, each of our headphones and mics. I don't know. I don't even know at this point what it was. But uh, thank you, John Schweppe, for your patience. Uh, John Schweppe, of course, is over at the American Principles Project. He's the director of policy as well as government affairs. I noticed that he was up on Twitter uh, and was uh, X, I guess we should say, uh, making his voice heard. So welcome, sir. How are you? Ed, thanks so much for having me. Uh, You know, the the headline on what I saw, lawmakers urged Biden administration to take action against pro-Hamas demonstrations on college campuses. I thought, okay, I'm going to look at that and I dig into that. And you went further. You basically said, look, at this point, you you can't even uh, pretend to try to explain this or limit this. You've just got to change your total approach. Walk me through sort of where your energy was and how you described this. I thought it was persuasive. Yeah, well, I think when you look at the American college system, and we've known this as conservatives for probably more than a decade, I mean, maybe even going back further, but uh, we can't fix it. I, I think, you know, you have some great conservative institutions out there, uh, like Hillsdale and elsewhere. And obviously, you know, I, I want to send my kids to those types of institutions. I'm not telling people don't send your kids to college, but I do think Republicans need to look at you know, how much funding we send to the university system, uh, how much, uh, you know, we we basically facilitate the student loan program. And if that really makes a lot of sense when, you know, what we're seeing on these college campuses is just a hotbed of radicalism. And it's it's taking, you know, innocent, young American minds who go in there liking their country and they're coming out with these really woke uh, beliefs and, and hating their country. I think it's a real problem and we shouldn't be funding it. Do you think, uh, again, our guest is John Schweppe, Director of Policy and Government Affairs over at the American Principles Project. They do great stuff over there, and you should check them out. I'll I'll, uh, I'll put up their um, website, too. But, uh, John, you're younger than I am, so you're closer to it a little bit, but neither one of us is right out of school. Um, but a lot of people are really stupid when they're young, and, and, and they maybe are even more stupid when they think they're smart. Um, so that's one thing. But watching sort of Harvard – um, do these sort of um, like uh, contortions to try to defend uh, what is really some things are not just stupid. They're sort of unacceptably stupid. And I guess your point is that's ever that there's too much of that. Like you can't you can't sift through it at this point. Yeah. You know, look, 20 years ago, uh, there were plenty of liberals on college campuses opposing the war in Iraq, you know, saying that the U.S. had some complicity in 9-11, you know, whatever. I'm sure that happened. You didn't have what you have now, which is this was a clear terrorist attack on the Israelis, uh, rape of women, uh, beheadings of infants, and they're justifying it. And they support the violence because they believe it's it's uh, justified under resistance is the word they like to use. So this is beyond speech at this point. This is truly um, some of these radicals endorsing terrorism. And I think that's a real problem. The left wing movement has become much more comfortable with violence. And that's all coming from the indoctrination that's happening in the university system. And so ultimately, you know, and I saw Senator Tim Scott do this. I I think there's going to be more of an appetite for this. You know, certainly we have uh, the, the carrot of 
federal funding for these institutions so we can try to get them to rein this stuff in a little bit. But ultimately, I think we need to 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 be willing to use the stick and say, you know, no funding for anything. You know, ultimately, we have uh, billions of dollars in research grants that go out to these universities. Well, what if we gave some of those research grants to to folks in the private sector instead? I mean, there's there's a lot of tools we have at our disposal, and I just don't think America should be tolerating a madrasa like system as our university system. The, uh, the, the the interesting, though, to see, um, you know, we've watched uh, almost like time. Time is used as a tool. There was this protest in the halls of the Capitol buildings, I guess not in the actual Capitol, but in some of the other buildings uh, by uh, Palestinian supporting folks. There has been more on college campuses. I don't know. I mean, I, I, uh, my my uh, reason to bring that up is that is is the. Uh, is even the stupidity um, too far common or too common to to blame just to say, I mean, to say it's not just universities. There's looks like there's plenty of, you know, media outlets. There's plenty of uh, of um, communities that are willing to tolerate this. And um, it's extraordinary to see. Yeah. Well, look, we do have a First Amendment. Uh, that gives people the right to be stupid. And certainly a lot of folks on the left are taking full opportunity of that. But, you know, I, I think ultimately we do have federal tax dollars that go to everything, basically. Right. And so I think we should ultimately be, you know, a little bit more judicious in that and, you know, determining where they go. You know, something that a lot of folks are talking to me uh, about in the States is, you know, uh, dollars, tax dollars going to these organizations that, you know, ostensibly do good things in, in local communities, but then they're giving that money to radical LGBT groups and radical, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter like groups at the federal level. Like, should our tax dollars be going to that stuff? And I think you know, Republicans need to just be much more willing. We talk about spending cuts all the time. Let's cut that spending. Let's stop giving money to our to our enemies. Uh, John Trump is our guest. He is the uh, director of policy and government affairs over at the American Principles Project. If you go to AmericanPrinciplesProject.org, you can see all the different work they're doing. Uh, you know, um, but this one is really confounding in, in this sense. W- watch what they do. The, the media and the and President Biden say. We have to get rid of these white supremacists, this anti-Semitism. The ADA, the ADL jumps in and says everything that's a conservative says is is uh, anti-Semitic. Yet we look, the anti-Semitism is coming from the left. It's not coming from the right. There's not there's not Republicans that are accused like some of the Democrats of of being soft on Hamas. There's not there's not uh, uh, Hillsdale is not having rallies. Uh, in favor of the terrorists. It's exactly the opposite. And yet it's a funny, it's, it's a, sort of this like prediction. Watch this. They say, huh, oh, there's a lot of anti-Semitism. And then it turns out there actually is some, but it's all from the left. Mm-hmm. Well, they were using those serious accusations to try to silence uh, speech and dissent. And, and, you know, one of the, the big words you always hear is, oh, you can't say George Soros. Even though George Soros funds all these anti-American initiatives, you can't say Soros because that makes you an anti-Semite. Well, a lot of the folks who published plenty of pieces about how anti-Semitic the right is uh, because they invoke George Soros all the time, they're now supporting Palestinian liberation and, and, and Hamas. So it's obviously something that they didn't really believe or care about particularly. They just wanted to use it as a, as a weapon against the right. And I think what's important here to note is that 
I think the right is actually pretty consistent in opposing anti-Semitism. Uh, you know, there you'll occasionally see some folks on the right try to, uh, you know, go after Israel and, and they get a lot of pushback because conservatives do stand with Israel. So I think it's important for us to continue to show that, um, you know, these guys, the, the left, they're often not arguing from a place of principle. They're, they're arguing from a place of, you know, practical politics and, and, and it, they don't mean what they say a lot. And so I think we need to hold them accountable. For that. Uh, John, John Schweppe is our guest director of policy and government affairs over at the American principles project. Uh, John, you know, I don't often, I don't often think to do this and I was encouraged by one of my listeners to do it more uh, as I'm wrapping up. We've just got about a minute and a half left. Tell people where they can go. If they go to American principles, project.org, tell them, I know there's some different uh, uh, signups that you have petitions you can do for sure, but also ways to be uh, kept informed. Give us, a run through on American Principles Project and some of that that's available to folks. Well, definitely follow us on social media. We're at AP Project on Twitter. I know we're on Instagram uh, and Facebook as well. But yeah, if you could go to our website, sign up, you know, send a $5 contribution, whatever, so we can get you on our lists. I mean, we're really trying to be uh, in many ways, you know, the political arm for the family. There's a lot of groups doing really good stuff, but that's that's been kind of our niche. Uh, we spent $15 million in the last election cycle hoping to do more in 2024, and it's a critical election, so we need all the help we can get. Very good. Well, uh, thank you for uh, being out there uh, and and spending time with us. And again, I'll put up on uh, social media. John Schweppe is the uh, director of policy and government affairs for the American Principles Project, uh, AmericanPrinciplesProject.org. Uh, thanks, John. And thanks for your patience with our technical difficulties today. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for having me, Ed. All right. We'll take a break. Everybody come back. I'll put up on social media a link to both uh, his comments. I think he's got one on Twitter, a tweet that I uh, have in my file and also to that website so you can get uh, more information there. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Been looking forward to this interview for a while because, of course, uh, they got me a copy of his book. And so I was able to dig into this book. Our our next guest is the author of uh, a book at Post Hill Press. Our friends there put it out. It's called Queen of Cuba, an FBI agent's insider account of the spy who evaded detection for 17 years. Peter J. Lapp is our guest. Again, Post Hill Press, everywhere they have books. Uh, welcome, a, a sir, uh, to uh, the program. How are you? Thanks. Sir. I appreciate you having me on. First, a couple practical questions. When an, a former FBI agent wants to go and write a book like this, how hard is it? I've often wondered, I know there's a process of vetting, but how hard is it? Because you probably have, you know, maybe not a hundred, but you probably have lots of stories that could be interesting, maybe not a full book, but how, how does that process work when you go from wanting to tell a story to having to go and get sort of the ability to do it? Is there many hoops to jump through? You know, there are because I had a clearance and obviously as part of my condition of employment, I agreed very early on, you know, when I started in 1998 to if I would one day write a book, which I never, ever had an ambition <laughs> to do, right. frankly, um, that I would give them the manuscript before it went out to the publisher and they would review it for <laughs> classified information. They're not there to fact check it, uh, agree or disagree, but they're only looking for to make sure I don't publish classified information, which is why I think you saw you know, some of the uh, some things in the book were were redacted 
uh, and blacked out, which which I uh, was very happy to do and had no no issue with. And I actually think it was actually a little bit sexy, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. It kind of um, it uh, it did make it did make you wonder. Um, by the way, did you hear that there's a I don't know if it's true, but there's a, supposed to be an AI that can um, look at blacked out uh, redacted text and be able to t- fill in that word for you. I don't know. That's true. It's just funny. to. All right. But let me go back to the book. Tell us the story of this uh, spy um, and in particular, um the reality of um i i don't know if it was a failure it it means that she 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 was in place for a long time um so it, i maybe that's a failure or maybe it's just good spy crap but walk us through this uh who this woman was and and how this got to be where it was you know i think if we look at her arrest 10 days after 911 as a counterintelligence success which right. it was because we 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 neutralized the threat we prevented uh, her from doing any damage against, you know, our warfighters who were going off to Afghanistan. We also have to look at the, the 17 years and look at that as a counterintelligence failure. You know, 17 years in my mind was far too long and there's plenty of responsibility, uh, to in, in that part of the story, if you will, that goes around. Yeah. I think, I think what she did, she was near perfect in my mind in how she did what she did. Be, and it, I think, led to it taking 17 years to mm. to get onto her and to build a case. You know, she she really did very little to draw attention to uh, security folks and counterintelligence folks about her her anti-American views. Um, and and the more she built this reputation of being the queen of Cuba, being the go-to person on. DOD, Department of Defense Matters regarding Cuba, I believe it insulated her from any suspicions that people would have over the course of the 17 years. So her reputation really acted as a barrier uh, against identifying her, you know, far earlier. The um, after all of that time, first of all, can you can you can can when I read the book, I keep thinking, did can you can you tell um what she really got, like the limit of what she was able to do, uh, the damage. It's almost like it's almost like the web is too big. But I mean, can you and you have to you have to try that, you know, you have to uh, get her convicted and get to get her to jail. You sort of don't necessarily have to sort of catalog everything. But do you think we did? I think we did to the best extent we could. I mean, you know, the rest of it was made in 2001. And I right. think technology improvements, you know, from when she started in 1985, there were meetings that she attended, emails that she would have got that had been long since, you know, gone and, and out of our realm of, of control. Um, we we had, a, a I think, a, a pretty good damage assessment, uh, as full of an accounting as we could. When we asked her, did you pass this? Did you pass that? When we gave her specific things that we knew she accessed, many times she said, I don't remember. But if if I knew it and I and I it was classified and it was good for the Cubans, I would have absolutely given that that information intelligence to them. So we kind of went to a default position of if she accessed it, it, it likely ended up with the Cubans. The most damaging non-human being um, intelligence that we could prove right. that she passed, and there's a difference between knowing she did something and, and proving it was the National Reconnaissance Office special access program, the SAP program, um, that, that was, um, it was so damaging. I, when I found it on her computer after we did the covert searches, the FISA approved covert searches. So we had right. legal authority. Um, I found that paragraph. I had not been read into that SAP. 
I had to be read in by the National Reconnaissance Office. And, and when I learned about what the SAP was, it was my wow moment. Uh-huh. I, I won't say what I really said because <laughs> it was that damaging. And I knew, and she frankly knew that, you know, if she was caught passing that SAP to the Cubans, she knew that it was a death penalty count and it was death penalty would have made her death penalty eligible. And and she didn't pass it. She didn't pass it. You, you think she did. She absolutely did pass it. She absolutely did pass it because we found it on her computer oh. and it was in the diary. I call it the dear diary part where she was kind of narrating from what she had memorized in the course of going to work every day. Which I mean, this is, yeah, this is it. But, but, but and I'm sorry, I set up. I got into the things I made my notes about. It's incredible. She went to the U- UVA and Johns Hopkins. Yep. She ends up. Yep. She ends up in her brother and sister. Both are in the FBI. I guess Correct. her brother was an agent. The other one was a analyst. She herself was in the DIA. I mean, this is mm-hmm. as as um, how can and she got out of jail last six months ago or something. Yeah. How do you get out of jail? I, I would have thought it was either death penalty or life without. No. It's it's a complicated formula, and I and I understand a lot of the lot of the comments in a lot of the the media uh, articles. There's there's a a lack of understanding, and I can appreciate that. Look, look I you know I, I'm one of the people that came up with the number twenty five in terms of twenty five years, right? And, and I own I own that part of the deal. I respect the plea agreement that the government and her entered into. Uh, I'm, you know, January 7th of this past year was a, was a bad day for me because she was walking free. Mm-hmm. And frankly, you know, if I knew what I knew then, I, I don't believe she's, I think she should feel very lucky for walking out of prison. Right. That being said, the, the National Reconnaissance Office wouldn't allow us to use the details oh, of that special access program I as you. part of our prosecution. And, you know, pro- the venue is also, I know this is getting kind of legally nuanced, yeah. but. You know, this was prosecuted in D.C., and right. the U.S. Attorney's Office had to think about the jury and what a what a jury of it, her peers in D.C. You know, sentenced her to death, and and the likelihood of that happening was going to be probably mm-hmm. no. So we came up with a number of twenty five years, and and you know, un- unfortunately, you know, again, I think she's lucky to be out of jail. I don't think she feels lucky, but I I believe she should feel lucky. And I, I do. One of my biggest regrets is not being able to have better evidence that would have Got granted more. us yeah. a thirty-year prison, a thirty-five-year yeah. prison. I mean, you know, it's. Uh, but we we did the best we could. Real quick, um, I'm almost out of time, and again, I, I I'll make sure to put up on social media and and link Thank to you. it. Uh, uh, the uh, the story. So the book is called The Queen of Cuba, Post Hill Press. Uh, retired FBI agent Peter J. Lap. Um, it, it, why did she go for Cuba? I know she was Puerto Rican descent, but she was born, I think, in Germany. Is there? It, it, I didn't catch it. I'm, I have to admit that I read books by jumping them around a bit. Was there some mm-hmm. aspect of Cuba that that she thought that was important to to her? Cuba was the conduit. You know, oh, if, if the Chinese okay. or the Russians reached out to her, you know, through this this American woman, Marta Velasquez, who has been indicted and has uh, been living in Sweden, you know, since Anna pled guilty. Uh, Cuba was the immediate conduit. She, okay. in my mind, is more anti-American. I got you. Versus pro-Cuban. And I think I that that is something that is uh, what my, I hope that my book uh, communicates to the readers is that yeah. this this person you know really hates our country and mm. and hated it and probably to this day continues to hate it. 
It's uh, it's really compelling. Uh, thank you for writing it. I'm sorry we're out of time. Very quick. Thanks for sneaking some time out in your busy day. Uh, we were talking offline. So uh, Peter J. Lapp uh, is the author, retired FBI agent, and uh, it, re- it reads like a it reads like a uh, thriller. It's extraordinary the uh, the facts of this case. Again, the Queen of Cuba from Post Hill Press. Our friends over there, retired FBI agent Peter J. Lapp. Uh, his book you can find it everywhere they sell books. We've got to take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by opposing radical feminism and representing a traditional conservative perspective in our nation's capital. And now from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. The most scholarly book written about the feminist movement by a non-feminist is Domestic Tranquility by Carolyn Graglia. She read all those tiresome books and articles by the feminist leaders, Betty Friedan, Germaine Greer, Kate Millett, Gloria Steinem, and Simone de Beauvoir, and concluded that the principal goal of the feminists since the 1960s has been the status degradation of the housewife's role. Mrs. Gualia documented the fact that all branches of feminists are united in the belief that a woman can find identity and fulfillment only in a labor force career. Gloria Steinem said that when a woman gets married, she becomes a semi-non-person, while Simone de Beauvoir and Betty Friedan labeled a housewife a parasite, wasting her adult capabilities and intelligence. The devaluing of the role of full-time homemaker has now become part of our culture. That is what is taught in women's studies courses in colleges and endlessly reiterated on the media. Today, it is simply accepted by most people that the modern woman should be in the workforce because being at home is not enough for a fulfilling life. However, the feminist movement is not the only factor that has moved wives out of the home into the labor force. Another big factor is the invention of so many labor-saving devices that have reduced the time necessary to care for babies and keep the household functioning. And another factor is that women are having fewer children today than they did in the previous generation. The most important factor, however, is free trade policies that have shipped millions of well-paying blue-collar manufacturing jobs overseas so that men today are stuck in jobs that simply do not pay enough to support a full-time homemaker. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The traditional family is the building block of our communities and country. That's why it's imperative to support strong marriages, respect fathers, and champion stay-at-home moms. At phyllisschlafly.com, we oppose the liberal attempt to redefine the family. To join us, visit phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome, welcome, and welcome, Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Good to be with you. We got to finish up with a little bit of an explainer, and I don't have any insight yet. I may get some, uh, but I don't have it yet on the uh, background and the details of uh, Sidney Powell's 
uh, plea agreement. She agreed to plead guilty to a misdemeanor, a single misdemeanor, get probation and probably pay a fine. And uh, they dropped all the other charges. I think there were seven felony charges, perhaps something like that. And so I was, you know, when I first saw it, I was like, holy cow. Um, but then I realized and I had had some contact with Sydney in the last year or so and in the last few months. And I realized um, that the, the lawfare is unfair. The lawfare is terribly nasty, um, but it's also really, really hard to beat. I mean, when you're being charged with seven felonies and you're in Fulton County in a liberal county and you've got all this up against you, if you're Sidney Powell, uh, part of the reality is you have to try to live to fight another day, live to be in another day, you know, to to function. Um, She's got a husband. She's got a family. She's got things going on. She's got a law license. And so while I at first thought, oh, man, um, that's too bad. You know, what does that mean? And I was kind of mixed about it. I started to come around to it and realize it was the smartest thing to do. And let me tell you, Sidney Powell is one of the smartest people, smartest lawyers I've ever met. Um, I guess I, I should say that. I mean, she's very bright to be and interesting to be with. She's tough. I remember asking her once after she was representing General Flynn, I had uh, a, an event with her at our offices in Washington, D.C., and we went out to dinner, kind of a famous night. It was uh, me and Sidney Powell, John Schlafly, uh, Catherine Engelbrecht, Roger Severino. It was like a who's who of people. And I was sitting there and I was saying to um, Sidney that um, you – I said, you know, Sydney, you've become so famous now. This is long before 2020. This is just after the General Flynn stuff broke out and she was able to get him out from under that. And I said, you know, people really don't uh, they're not balanced about their hatred of Trump and hatred of Flynn. And and it, it probably splashes over, you know, and, and hits you. And I said, are you are you at all fearful? And she said, no. And she said, I have I have trust in the Lord. That's what she said. That's how she said it. I have trust in the Lord and I don't have a, a spirit of fear and she's a faithful woman. So, but here's what I want to point out to you. Watch this. If it's true that she's now off the hook and you know, that means that she's, she's got to plead guilty to this misdemeanor then, and she's going to have to testify about what she saw and all that. Isn't it possible that we'll finally see and she'll be able to say what she saw like who gave her the Kraken information that we never really understood? I've, I've heard people speculate about what that was and who gave it to her and whether it was a, a, a misinformation, like a, an operation, you know, an op to try to distract her, whatever it is. Now, might we find out? Because now she's through. She's through with this. And I don't have any... Um, I don't have she didn't plead guilty to the, any conspiracy. It was one single misdemeanor count uh, related to what they were doing. So they didn't have the goods on the other stuff. And so I just I think the I think the I hate to do this. <laughs> I think Sidney Powell, maybe now she's unleashed and she can tell what she knows and she can tell what she heard. And just as I told you about the uh, situation that I'm finding with the January 6th video and the, the fake gallows and the fake noose. A lot of what they accuse us of, what the media and the left accuses we the people of, is what they're doing. You know, the, the, the fake gallows, that there were actually efforts by this transition integrity project in the six months before the election to talk about the kinds of things that could and should be done to fight for an election, including agents provocateur. 
And so the question is, is that what they did? Because it sure looks like somebody set up the fake gallows and somebody set up the fake news to try to make it a, uh, a provocative image, to make it something that has a, is a burden on uh, on Republicans, on, on the, the, the Trump supporters. So just like that with Sidney Powell, what they're saying is Sidney Powell, they're, they, they've said Sidney Powell, you know, didn't have the truth, didn't did what misleading, all this kind of stuff. What if she's able to now talk about who was telling her what? And what if the people who were telling her what, telling her what they knew, what if they were part of this, uh, an op? Again, we, we now we're going to get to a really smart woman, a really capable person. Sidney Powell is going to be able to say what she's seen and say what she knows and describe what it means and, and give us an understanding of what's going on. Sidney Powell unleashed. Forget about the Kraken. Unleashing Sidney Powell to tell us the whole truth. I think in the long run, that might be the most important thing that's happened so far in, in her situation. Not about the plea, not about any of the other things. No. And, and oh, you know, by the way, one more thing. I do know it was costing lots and lots of money. You know, th- this lawfare is not just uh, taxing on your energy and your, per- your, your reputation and all that. It costs you real money, lots of money to fight these things off. And so by ending it also, she's got herself free and clear of that burden. And like I said, she's got a husband. She's got a, one son. I don't know if she has more than one child. I know she's got a son. I've seen and I know him a little bit. And she's just a normal person. If you see images of her, she's she's friendly with some friends of mine. And there's images of her uh, holding one of the one of our friends uh, babies uh, and uh, new baby. And she just looks she looks like um, she looks like a happy lady. She's a a well-adjusted human being, like I said, a woman of faith. And so um, a lot uh, a lot of interesting things happening. And so I wish I only wish her well. She deserves good things. She is a great American patriot. And I hope and pray that people will understand uh, what she did and how she got there, because I think it was the right thing for her. And I think in the long run, it'll be the right thing for everybody. So that's uh, my thoughts on Sydney Powell. Let's take a uh, let's wrap things up. Mason Mohan, Ryan Height. Thank you. There are producers. And thank you for tuning in. Visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. And uh, please uh, uh, pass this on to others. And we'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the ProAmerica Report. Talk to you then. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.